This episode of This Changes Everything is presented by the Crosscut Festival, May 3rd through the 8th, online and in Seattle. What do you want? When do you want it? Now! What do you want? Justice! When do you want it? Now! Hands up! Hands up! It's late May, 2020. We are united! We are united! George Floyd has just died at the hands of Minneapolis police. No justice! No peace! No justice! No Police! Thousands and thousands and thousands of protesters are hitting the streets in cities across the country. Hands up! Hands up! Stop killing black people! There's another flashbang grenade. These are hardly the first major protests over police brutality in recent years. They are definitely, yes, the police are escalating their response. But this time, in the middle of a raging global pandemic, something feels different. Overnight, nationwide unrest. For the 12th night in a row, a coast-to-coast call to action. As these protests are violent down here in, in downtown Seattle. And it looks like they're trying to light a fire in the middle of that street right there where they just put up the barricade. We don't want to loot. That's not what we out here for. But we do want justice, and we want equality. There are more people out marching than ever before in recent memory. There are more people Take watching. Take a knee off our necks! Take a knee off our necks! And this time, almost immediately, there's this new rallying cry. Defund! Police! Defund! Police! When I say defund, you say police! Defund! Police! Defund! Police! Not just reform the police. Defund the police. Somebody could steal my car, take my money, I won't be calling the police. I never have, I never will. And then, within weeks in some cases, cities across the country actually started doing it. Minneapolis city council members at a rally about an hour ago have announced their plan to disband the Minneapolis Police Department. Council members voted tonight to cut $22 million from the Baltimore Police Department. The Austin City Council making major cuts to the Austin Police Department. Eight members of the New York City Council are proposing a plan aimed at cutting $1 billion from the NYPD's budget. This morning, Seattle Council member Teresa Mosqueda promised not to pass the mayor's budget and plan to make drastic cuts to the force. And I am committed to defunding the police. We are not the problem. The police are not the problem. They are working under a system. The problem is the system. This is a pivotal moment in history. We are going to move in a different direction, and policing will never be the same as it was before. I'm Sarah Bernard, and this is This Changes Everything, a podcast from Crosscut about the new normal. In the first season of this podcast, we focused on the coronavirus pandemic and how it transformed the way we live. This season, we're looking at the next big thing to hit 2020, this new moment in policing. Love it or hate it, right now, we're in a moment of reckoning around how we police, who we police, and all of a sudden, whether we should police in the same way at all. Crosscut staff reporter David Croman has been covering the Seattle Police Department for years now. And he says that in Seattle, like many other cities, this is truly unprecedented. Seattle was one of the first cities to begin moving money out of its police department's budget in response to the protests. To watch that change so quickly is pretty astounding. And to date, it has made some of the deepest cuts. 
And of course, not everyone is on board with this. The defunding discussion has disregarded the science of criminal justice. These issues are complex and deeply controversial. The other side hasn't been heard. But now it's like the whole debate has shifted. For a lot of people, it's suddenly not just about improving accountability and training within police departments. It's about starting to rethink public safety entirely. Stay with us. So how did we get here exactly? Until this past summer, the conversation around policing and police reform in Seattle had a pretty different focal point. The federal consent decree. The city is withdrawing its request to lift the federal oversight of the Seattle Police Department, or what's called a consent decree. If you've lived in the region at least a few years, you've probably heard of it. Yeah, remember that police officers using unconstitutional force is what sparked the consent decree in the first place. But here's David Croman with the quick version. It starts about a decade ago, in 2010. Community members had perceived that there was this pattern of Seattle police officers using a lot of force when they didn't think they needed to be using force. And that really came to a head when John T. Williams was shot in the back by a police officer. A member of a Vancouver Island First Nation described as a gentle artist and a storyteller has been shot dead by Seattle police. 50-year-old John T. Williams, a carver, was holding a piece of wood and a carving knife when he was approached by an officer. Police say he was repeatedly asked to drop the knife, but he did not and was shot four times. You know, it was fairly clearly an inappropriate thing for that officer to have done, and it sparked all this outrage. We are angry and outraged that his life was interrupted for seemingly no reason and so callously disregarded. We are worried about our most vulnerable community members who suffer regular harassment and abuse on the streets of Seattle. And so um, these community groups got together and basically wrote a letter to Barack Obama and his Department of Justice and asked the federal government to come in and take a look, to look under the hood of the Seattle Police Department um, so that they would have this record or some, you know, proof that the things they were seeing and feeling were in fact real and happening. That happened. The, the federal government agreed and confirmed that there were a lot of problems with the Seattle Police Department, particularly around uses of force and bias. Um, and so then basically the Department of Justice threatened to take the city to court. Um, they said, this is unconstitutional. You're violating people's constitutional rights. We're going to take you to court. Um, and then, you know, like in any court proceeding, instead of it going to trial, they settled. But instead of giving money to the Department of Justice, the settlement says, we're going to fix this. <laughs> we, we will do better at this. And the Department of Justice agreed. And so then thus begins this long process to fix these things that are deemed as unconstitutional. Um, the path to getting there is really complicated and really weed weedy, but that's the basic nutshell is um, the way that the Seattle Police Department was doing its job before was unconstitutional, and uh, we are going to bring a federal judge in to make sure that you fix that. The whole litigation process took a couple years. But officially, the federal government's oversight of the Seattle Police Department was launched in July 2012. And just a few years later, the police chief at the time, Kathleen O'Toole, was invited as a special guest to President Barack Obama's 2016 State of the Union address. When Barack Obama delivers his final address to the nation, O'Toole will have a front row seat with his wife. Kathleen O'Toole was invited to that State of the Union because on paper, Seattle had sort of been a success story of the 
Obama administration's definition of reform. I expect that the president will probably highlight uh, the issue of police reform in his remarks. Uh, so I suspect that's why, why we were included. But at the same time, there were still like a ton of people who looked at Kathleen O'Toole going to that State of the Union as a sort of frustrating thing because they didn't feel like the, the success that was being celebrated was necessarily actually being realized on the ground. And so um, what actually constitutes you know, meaningful change in the eyes of the people who are being policed, you know, like who's defining success and what reform actually means. There were big things that had changed in Seattle's police department at the time. You had the introduction of body cameras and the creation of a force review board, among other things. But when it comes to the deeper issues, especially around racial bias and community trust, that was hardly mission accomplished. I would say, as a whole, public opinion of the Seattle Police Department was pretty good. Um, people basically trusted the Seattle Police Department. But the, the question is, who, when you talk about the community, who within the community? Um, white people have had a, had a decent view and relationship with law enforcement for basically ever. Um, black communities in particular, you know, not as much. And, you know, so we have seen improvement in surveys of trust of the police department in the black community, but it is still greatly lacking. In the last 10 years, 42.3% of the people shot by Seattle police were black, according to department data. But black people make up less than 7% of the population of the city of Seattle. Still, in 2018, a federal judge found the department to be in full and effective compliance with the consent decree. Oversight isn't entirely over with, a long story for another day, but short version is things have improved, at least according to the feds. By a lot of metrics, the Seattle Police Department has done a better job than they used to. Um, uses of force appear to be down when use of force is used. It's more mild. There is a stronger disciplinary system than there was eight, ten years ago. But when you dig into these numbers, they are still very disproportionate for for black people in particular, um, native people also, and, you know, Hispanic, Latino people to a certain extent as well. But particularly for black communities, you know, th th when you look at these improvements and you see these celebrations of, you know, the police department is using so much less force, there are still some things that really are head scratching, like, uh, you know, black people are way more likely to be stopped by the Seattle police and yet in those stops are less likely to to have a weapon or something dangerous, which, you know, that, that suggests that those stops are truly disproportionate because innocent black people are being stopped at greater rates than innocent white people. And what David says is also important to recognize now in this sudden explosive new moment is that even with all these improvements at SPD, the basic structure of the institution that never really changed. Basically, since I started being a reporter, I've been following this reform process, which is amazingly slow and amazingly incremental. You have these fights and whole debates around, you know, when an officer is allowed to turn off their body camera. You know, th that's, that's a whole thing that is fought over for, for weeks and months. Um, you have uh, fights over how many... Um, investigators in the internal affairs unit are civilian, how many of them are sworn officers? You know, the, these are fights that 
covered for you know literally years. And then today, the Seattle City Council advanced a plan to start reducing the size of the city's police force in a matter of weeks, I would say. Suddenly, that whole conversation is basically rejected, including by people who were at the table for those conversations, saying we are no longer trying to reform this system. We want to create a new system and reimagine what a public safety department for the city might look like, which again, after sort of watching years of incrementalism um, plot along to watch that change so quickly is pretty astounding. It's just not a healthy tree. We need to plant a new tree. And as the President Gonzalez said, we have to completely reimagine, revision what community policing is. I mean, I, I think specifically of Council President Lorena Gonzalez. We are asking the question about what purpose does law enforcement serve? Who started as a civil rights lawyer suing police officers. She worked briefly for the mayor as um, his lawyer working on some of this reform stuff. She was elected um, to continue these consent decree reforms. She worked most of her first couple of years in office on ushering through some reforms, and then over the summer has declared them to all be a failure. I fundamentally believe that reform of a police department was something that was possible. This is Gonzalez speaking at a special meeting on August 6th, when she and two other council members presented their vision for taking funds from the Seattle Police Department. But what we saw earlier this summer in response to the George Floyd demonstrations and what we're seeing across the country has reframed my perspective on that point. And basically said, uh, I think that was not time well spent. I think we should not have been thinking of it that way. I think we should have been thinking of it in the way that we are now. I have said before, and I'll say it again, that you cannot reform something that is fundamentally broken. Even as we have made these improvements, these sort of incremental improvements, they have left behind black and brown communities. And that to me is unacceptable. That's a pretty astounding repudiation from somebody who has been working in that system for as long as she has. This is a responsible approach for us to do. And more importantly, it's the right thing to do. Thinking back on Barack Obama hosting Seattle Police Chief Kathleen O'Toole at her at a State of the Union, um, which is this celebration of improving within the system to now, which is uh, pressure to tear down that very system. I'd say we, we are in a vastly different place than we used to be. We'll be right back. This last year has changed the way we talk about race, policing, public health, politics, the climate, the arts, and the economy. And in many ways, it's changed how we talk to one another. But it hasn't stopped the conversation. This spring, the Crosscut Festival will keep that conversation going, with a week of events where journalists, politicians, artists, and newsmakers will talk about our uncertain present and our possible future. We'll explore the issues that are shaping our country and our world. This year's guests include PBS NewsHour anchor Judy Woodruff, travel expert Rick Steves, Congresswoman Pramila Jayapal, former Secretary of Labor Robert Reich, and many more who will be announced on March 8th. 
Join us at the Crosscut Festival, May 3rd through the 8th. For more information and to purchase tickets, go to crosscut.com festival. Okay, back to the show. So David's been covering the Seattle City Council for years. Here's his two cents on where they're at when it comes to the police. I think there are a lot of people who feel regret on this council. I think there's they often look back on decisions and feel regretful about things like votes to build new police stations and um, past stances they had taken on recruiting new police officers and growing the police force and in enacting reforms that involved giving more money to the police department. I um, reflected and realized that I needed to have some reckoning with my own assumptions about what makes community safer. The council found itself in a place where suddenly the protests were really calling into question a lot of those decisions. And it was, my hunch is it was sort of uncomfortable for them and they understood that the ground had shifted beneath them and really wanted to be out in front of that and not look back on where they were and sort of have regret for being too cautious. And so I thought we saw f- some pretty dramatic and quick calls for things like cutting the police department by 50%. That was one of the demands of the protesters. Six of the eight city council members have now publicly declared that they do to support defunding the SPD by 50%. And we had, within a month, we had a majority of the council expressing some level of support for that idea. A 50% cut to the Seattle Police Department did get plenty of pushback. It's the largest support we've seen of those in favor of SPD. Hundreds making it clear in front of City Hall that they don't want the police department's budget touched at all. The unreasonable activism must stop, and the reasonable community is saying no more to this defund nonsense because it's got everybody's public safety in jeopardy. There is a right way to right-size policing. But anyone who thinks it can happen overnight really isn't looking at the facts. And because of that and other practical reasons, that didn't happen. There were things that the council at the time when they made that commitment didn't really understand, I think, which is that a lot of what they wanted to cut had already been spent. Um, There's some really difficult labor and union questions involved. Um, And so what they ended up doing was cutting you know, something closer to 5%, um, a much smaller amount, which is about 100 full-time positions in the police department. This is our beginning. This is our effort to show that we're taking first and important steps to right historic wrongs, to begin building that trust back with community, and to make it clear that today is only the first step in that process. The budget for 2021, which passed in November, included significantly steeper cuts, which we'll get into later. But still, not 50%. So, you know, when compared to 50%, obviously, it's not that. But, you know, you you have to go back many years, and I, I don't even know how far back, to find any time when the Seattle City Council or City Hall has actually cut the Seattle Police Department's budget. Um, through the Great Recession, through the dot-com bust, the Police Department's budget continued to go up. Part of that is a reflection of just how dire the financial situation is because of COVID-19. I mean, even Mayor Jenny Durkin proposed a budget that included some cuts to the Seattle Police Department. But I think the the combination of just how bad the financial situation is, combined with the pressure that the city council was under, they felt like 
you know, even once they realized they weren't going to make a 50% cut, they understood clearly that they needed to do something as signal to the people who had been protesting that when they say they're going to start reimagining, tearing down policing, that they're actually going to be acting on it. So over the summer, defund the police became such a big issue, such a household term even. David says in addition to reporting on this stuff, he's been having to field lots of questions from his family and community too. As a local who grew up in what is essentially the suburbs, um, and as a reporter, you know, I have a lot of family members or friends or whatever who um, like to ask me what is going on in Seattle. And lately that has been you know, what's up with this defund the police? Is, you know, this is crazy that we're going to get rid of our police department. It is true that defund the police, quote unquote, can be pretty unpopular. The vast majority of Americans, if you ask them, do you support defunding the police? They'll say no. For example, nearly 58 percent of you support the Black Lives Matter movement. But when you look at whether defund the police gets any traction, it's a resounding no. Anecdotally, at least, same goes for people across Seattle. You know, I, I'm, I'm really, 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 really bothered by the, 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 the name defunding the police department. I mean, I know several people who have, have told me, like, yeah, when the city council said they were going to defund the police, I, I went out and got a firearm. A crosscut Elway poll in October found that just 20 percent of respondents in Seattle and King County supported cutting the police department by half. But there's a bigger context here, a sort of analysis going on that's actually much less contentious than it might seem. It's mixed when you ask whether people would support moving monies around to other areas to combat crime. If you lay out for people who are skeptical of the idea of defunding the police, the, the on-the-ground realities, which are police are the ones who are handling people in mental health crisis. Police are spending a huge amount of their time arresting people experiencing homelessness. Um, they are responding to people overdosing on heroin. If you if you kind of lay those things out and you ask, is that what the police should be doing? Or do we feel comfortable, A, sending the police to those situations? And do we think that they're going to do a good job at those situations? A scaling down of armed law enforcement that that doesn't need to be responding to all of the social issues we've asked them, we've demanded that they respond to. Even skeptics of the idea of defunding the police often say no. That doesn't sound great. And by the way, if you ask police that same question, they also will say no. We don't want to be going to these things. We're not trained to be doing these things, or not trained enough at least. Are all the calls that your team and police are responding to, should they be responding to those? Is there a way that... No. No, I, I, there is, right now, how we're doing business is not the right way to do business. I hear time and time again from office leaders who are calling who say, I didn't sign up to be a social worker. I didn't sign up to be a mental health counselor. And so in that context, the idea of defunding the police, which is we, we take those jobs away from the police department and give them to somebody who is better equipped to deal with it, that turns out to not be a hugely controversial idea. And... In fact, if you look at polling, where if you ask people on a poll, do you support defunding the police or do you support cutting the police department by 50 percent? So far, the, the answers have been pretty negative. People mostly don't support that. But if you ask them, do you support reinvesting money that is currently spent on law enforcement in things like mental health and substance use treatment? 
that number goes way up. It's not universal, but it's closer to 50 percent. That's true. In that same Crosscut Elway poll from October, where just 20 percent of respondents supported cutting the Seattle police by half, 54 percent said they supported taking money from the police and investing it in social services and community programs. And, uh, you know, I think that I think that is a really interesting side of this conversation that that, in fact, the term defund the police while to some people does mean something that's genuinely controversial, I think for a lot of people it means something that is actually fairly intuitive when you break it down, when you kind of get get beyond the actual words defund the police. There are some people who really do want to get rid of police, straight up. Not only do police not make people safer, they make people less safe. That's the sort of police abolitionist argument. But what defund the police more broadly signifies for a lot of people isn't really defunding so much as funding. Can we invest in systems that help support people and more sustainably solve the kinds of social problems we tend to police away? You know, schools, not prisons. So in that world, defund the police means use money that has historically been spent on sort of emergency uh, stopgap measures, aka the police, and invest that into something more sustainable, build out more mental health services, um, do the things that the police are doing poorly, but do them well (laughs) and do them somewhere else. The Seattle Police Department has, of course, been invested in reforming itself for a long time. There's been training and more training to help officers become better and better equipped to handle a wider and wider variety of interactions. But this past summer was the first time really ever, that money was taken away in order to ask the question, is this what police should be doing? I think it's gotten to the point where people are feeling pretty desperate for something that will actually create more long-term sustainable solutions. And it's clear that those solutions are not and and likely will not come from the police department. So how is this going to work? What are those solutions? There's major controversy here around the whole idea of taking money away from the police, of course. But also among people who, on the face of things, seem to agree. In the next five episodes, we're going to explore some of that. The complex debate happening in Seattle and across the country. What does defunding the police really mean? And if not armed officers, then who? The truth is, so far, there really aren't that many tested, scaled models out there for alternatives to police response. Whatever happens now, a lot of it is going to be brand new. In part for that reason, we'll spend several episodes this season diving into the one alternative that does have some precedent. One thing that is getting a lot of attention right now. Crisis calls. We'll take the other overdose. Part of the sort of ongoing settlement agreement specifically focused on improving interactions between officers and people in mental health crisis. When they call 911 and the police department is coming, you know, they, they know we're there to care for them and, and keep them well. For the most part, it does not work out well. Not for people that have experienced significant trauma. It just doesn't. That's next time on This Changes Everything.
Thanks for listening to This Changes Everything. This episode was reported by David Croman and produced by me, Sarah Bernard. The story editor was Donna Blankenship, and the executive producer was Mark Baumgarten. Our cover art is by Greg Cohen. You can subscribe to This Changes Everything on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you listen. And if you like the show, please rate and review us. It really helps other people find us. For more on This Changes Everything and other CrossCut podcasts, go to crosscut.com slash podcasts. For the latest political, environmental, and culture news from the Pacific Northwest, visit crosscut.com. This Changes Everything is a product of Cascade Public Media. I'm Sarah Bernard. You can listen to all of the episodes in this series right now at crosscut.com or wherever you get your podcasts.